Thanks for listening, everyone. Before we get started, I just want to let you know, I think we recorded with the wrong microphone. I think we ended up using our laptop mic instead of our normal production mic. So this is going to sound a little bit tinnier than it normally does. I cleaned it up as much as I could, but I appreciate your grace on this one. Things just go wrong. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to another Reading Radio Podcast. I'm Alora. And I'm Jason. And this month we are doing The Line of the Witch in the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. Happy New Year, everybody! Hope you guys had a wonderful holiday season and are having a happy new year. Hopefully you'll get this episode pretty quick, shortly into the new year and can find out all about it. We traveled to grandparents' homes and then had Christmas at home. And then we are in the middle of our Fisher Family Game Tournament. I'll maybe put a picture of the trophy in the show notes after we've established who won. Yeah. We do a board game tournament every year, and whoever wins the most games in the tournament gets their name on a little trophy. It's kind of fun. It's a family tradition we have. So far, it's me and Dad. That's it. We're all, we've been the winner so far, but hopefully we'll be a second name on the trophy again. We'll get our names on the trophy again. We'll see how yes. it works out. <clears throat> so how was your Christmas? Did you enjoy everything? Yes. I got Harry Potter trophy suit, which I really, really wanted. So we played that a couple of times. For the tournament, unfortunately, I lost. That's because I am the trivia king. Do not fool with me. I also got Harry Potter code names. It was yeah. very Harry Potter-themed Christmas. And it wasn't intentional, because I got Harry Potter socks and earrings and stuff, too. Yeah. Big Harry Potter fan in this house. Yes. I wish there would be more C.S. Lewis swag. I, I did all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but it's interesting. This... I, this is probably my favorite book of all time, and it's a classic for a reason. I can still remember Mrs. Williams in second grade reading it to us um, as part of our reading curriculum, and it was the, the first book I remember that wasn't pure fairy tale. It got into, like, fantasy kind of thing, mm-hmm. and so it just kind of stuck with me. Uh, for the record, I'm just going to put this out there. We are reading the first book in the Chronicles of Narnia series. If you go get a modern set of books, they're printed in the wrong order for some reason, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe comes first. And we'll talk a little bit about why that's the case later on. I don't care what C.S. Lewis said. He was actually just patronizing a young boy who thought he knew the right order. And But anyway, it's a whole other issue that maybe we don't need to get into, but it's my pet peeve. This is the first book in the Chronicles of Narnia. So just so we're on, this, on the same page, this book has some, well, it has, it's a lot of religious undertones and overtones. And, and we share the faith of C.S. Lewis. And so we'll probably talk a little bit about that. If that's something that offends your sensibilities, go ahead and turn the podcast off now. Um, we don't normally do this. We're not usually a, a Christian explicit podcast, but in this case, because of the basis of the book, we're probably going to get into it a good bit. I didn't even recognize that it had any kind of religious undertones when I first read it because I was in second grade. And you don't know anything about that kind of stuff, at least I didn't growing up. I think that was the same age I was when you read it to me for the first time and you explained it to me. No problem. Because yeah. I wouldn't have picked it up by myself. I know that. Yeah. Eventually, I think you uh, you may you may have, but at yeah. eight years old, who knows? Mm-hmm. I still have the battered copy that I got in the Scholastic Book Fair, about probably second or third grade. <clears throat> Pages are starting to fall out, but I refuse to buy a new edition until they print them in the right order. So, we'll see how that goes. I have a feeling you might be waiting a while. It's okay. I'm willing to wait. I will actually go find the old copies of the book and buy them in the right order, or you, got, you guys have gotten me a... Uh, the BBC dramatized audio version, and I put them in the right order. 
So I rearrange the CDs so they come in the right order, because that's the way it's supposed to go. Alright, overall, let's do a spoiler-free uh, spoiler free summary of the book for people who aren't familiar with it and maybe haven't read it yet. Okay. Do you want to take that? Sure. So, this book is about four kids during World War II, and they have to leave their home in England because of the air raids. So literally Germany is flying over London, dropping bombs on the city, so they ship their kids out of the city to keep them safe. So they're out in this big countryside manor with... Don't remember the name. The professor? That's the professor. Yeah. And it's this big... And the McCready. And the McCready. And the McCready. There's this big... It's this big wood mansion. So there's tons of places for them to hide. And they were going to go out in the woods that was nearby. And then it was raining. So they decided to play hide-and-seek. And Lucy, who is the youngest, stumbled upon this wardrobe. So she hid inside the wardrobe with tons of fully wool winter coats and keeps going, hope, waiting to find the back. But she doesn't find it. Instead, finds this winter wonderland. Known as Narnia. Known as Narnia. That is why it's called the Chronicles of Narnia, and adventure ensues from there. We'll leave it at that. Yep. Okay, Laura, so what was your overall rating of the book? Scale Our scale is one through five. Five being everybody should have to read this book. Uh, one being why did anybody ever write this book and waste the paper on it? <laughs> what do you think? I'm scared because I don't want you to disown me. <laughs> then give it the right score. <laughs> um, There's only one right answer here. I'm just kidding. You, 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 you said you in the past that five would be forcing everyone to read it. Okay. And uh, I wouldn't want to say forcing people to read it, but I think that you should read it. Let's ignore the fact that forcing people to do things against their will is immoral. That's just our grandiose scale. So you think everybody in the world should read this book, number five, or why'd they waste the paper? Five. I think everyone should have to read this. Have to. See, you went back to have Not to. Not have to, but everyone should read this. <laughs> Of course, I'm going to give it a five as well. I've probably read this book 25, 30 times. Uh, I, once I graduated from high school, as C.S. Lewis says, eventually you become old enough to enjoy children's stories again. And uh, Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe was one of my favorites. I continued to read it once a summer, the whole Chronicles, every summer for many, many years. I've kind of dropped away from that habit now because life is way busier than it used to be, but I'd, I'd love to eventually get back to it. And I think every time I read it, I see something different, something new. From a literature perspective, from a theological perspective. Um, so I enjoy it. Go to five. So, what do you think about the age? <clears throat> so, we've kind of done this two ways. And I think if it's being read to somebody, uh, to a child, six or seven is probably okay. But if you're going to have them read it themselves, this is a uh, 19, late 1950s, early 1960s English book. And there's a, there are some terms that are they're, they're probably going to stumble over. You asked at, you had to ask me what they mean by wireless. Yeah, I have a little notebook by my bed in case that happens, which is rare that it happens. And then I write down the word. Then I ask my mom or dad what it means in the morning. Right, because wireless is a whole new definition now. It meant just a radio back then, but mm -hmm. today it means wireless internet. So I assumed it didn't mean that for right. the time period of the book. Right, but if you're younger, you may not recognize yet that history changes and that inventions happen. And, Things along those lines. Things, mm -hmm. the way the world is is the way the world has always been, kind of thing. So, reading by yourself, you probably need to be old enough to recognize those concepts. Um, so maybe nine or ten? I'm not sure. 
not know that I'm good at judging ages anymore since I'm old. But you read it yourself when you were seven or eight, right? Yeah. So did you feel you stumbled over anything? A little bit. But I think I got most of the concepts. Okay. So seven or eight maybe is appropriate yeah. to read by yourself. But then again, I was reading higher books at that age. Oh, too. Well, that's fair, too. Speaking of being old, you had a birthday recently. Oh, let's bring that up, why don't we? <clears throat> yes, I had my big 4-0, my 40th birthday. My wife set me up with a uh, surprise party with all of my boyfriends. <laughs> <laughs> we went and played Tactical Laser Tag, which is a laser tag designed to be a little bit more like a military operation for a bunch of guys, only one of which was in the military. It didn't make much difference. Um, there was a lot of squatting and running, and my thighs are killing me. Uh, and then we threw axes, so hand axes, wooden targets. We learned how to throw axes appropriately and get the right rotation on them and stick them into the wall. That's very therapeutic. I highly recommend it. <laughs> I did have a birthday. Um, I had a wonderful time. My wife even made me my favorite homemade Boston cream pie, which is a lot of work, and I greatly appreciate it. If she listens to this, which I'm not sure she always does, thank you, honey. You're wonderful, and I love you. <laughs> So to my age rating, I think being read out loud, six or seven would be like average, but it really depends on what you think the kids or a kid can understand. So I don't think you can put a defined age on it, but I think six or seven would be a good sure. in between. Every kid's different. Yeah. So that works. And then for being read alone, like Dad said, I think I was seven or eight when I read it alone for the first time, but I had had it read out loud to me before, and I was reading bigger books by that age, too. So I think 10 or 11, maybe. Sure. But same as the read out loud, it depends on the kid. Have them keep a notebook by their bed so they can write down the words they don't understand, or the concepts they don't understand, and, yeah. and you answer them. Or you might even find, there's probably study materials out there that have vocabulary words for the chapters where you could write that down and, and know what's going on. So this is something I wanted to share, and I'm not sure where else to put it. I've always heard, and I refuse to look it up on the internet, because I, I want it to be true, even if it's not, that this book came about as a challenge between C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. That Tolkien had written The Hobbit, and Lewis said, that is a horrible book. Let me show you how it can be done much better. He wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and then Tolkien said, I'll show you, and he wrote The Lord of the Rings. So we know that they hung out together. They were friends. Mm -hmm. uh, Tolkien actually helped to uh, minister to C.S. Lewis and, and helps him along his passage from atheism to Christianity. And also, they were both authors. They were both professors. So they talked about literature and things along those lines. Um, you know, Lewis's field was folklore and literature, which is why he writes what he does. I just want that story to be true so much. <laughs> I want to go to the Eagle and Child, also known as the Burdened Baby Tavern, in, in Dublin, and sit where they sat and feel the vibes of the, call, <laughs> the group they call the Inklings. You should, you'll have to look it up in the report for homeschool at some point. It's, it's just cool to sit there where they might have dared one another to write these books that are still with us today. I want it to be true, so I'm not looking it up to find that it's not. And if you comment anything about it, I will delete that comment because I don't want to know. I'm living in my own little fairy tale bubble. <laughs> Because it's cooler than the real world. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, now we're going to head into the spoiler zone. We hope you've read the book with us. Reading Radio is a book club podcast. We want everyone to read the book and then join us as we discuss it. So we're going to talk about every detail of the book. If you haven't read it before, and I don't know how that might be, 
and you haven't read it and don't want to be spoiled, go ahead and turn this off now. Come listen to it later. Okay. So I'm going to pick up kind of where our summary left off. All right. Lucy goes in to this winter wonderland known as Narnia, and she wanders around trying to figure out what this is. And then she sees a lamppost and a fawn, which is half goat, half man, comes up. Which half is which? Because that's very important. <laughs> <laughs> the bottom half is the Go- fawn. Fawn, yeah. Goat, goat. Yeah, top half goat's a little scarier. Go ahead. <laughs> which is the same as Seder, yeah. He is carrying a ton of packages, and when he sees Lucy, he drops all his packages. So Lucy goes and helps him pick pick up his packages. And the fawn introduces himself as Mr. Tumnus. So Mr. Tumnus takes Lucy back to his cave. His home. His home. Which is a cave, so that's technically right. Yeah. It's this nice roomy place. Pictures, teacups, all sorts of fun stuff. And they eat. Did anything strike you about the setting for Mr. Tumnus? What do you mean? Like his house. Anything strike you about it? It's interesting. The fact that it's a cave, but... But a, but a homey cave. Right? Yeah. I almost thought that they talked in The Hobbit about the Hobbit holes. You, I think we're going to read that next month or the month after. Being not just holes in the wall, but very comfortable and roomy. And I almost think Lewis might have been writing that as a nod to... The challenge. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I can do Hobbit holes just as well as you can, but it's a fawn hole instead. So... After they eat and enjoy themselves, Mr. Tumnus starts to play reed pipes for Lucy, and she starts to nod off. Then she realizes it's been hours, and that her siblings are probably worried about her. So she says to Mr. Tumnus, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, thank you, but but I have to go now. And then Mr. Tumnus breaks down crying, because... He was trying to get Lucy to fall asleep so he could contact the White Witch. And he feels bad about it, so he takes her back to the wardrobe where he came, where she came from. The White Witch is the power in Narnia. Yes. She's the queen, she's in charge, and she's very wicked and violent. She makes it winter, but <clears throat> never Christmas. Which is horrible. It feels like Ohio. <laughs> so she goes back home through the wardrobe, and, and what does she find about time? That is... Then a couple of seconds. Right. No, no time has passed, essentially. Yes. Right? So no one realizes she's been gone at all, which makes her story very unbelievable. And then none of her siblings believe her. Right. So a chapter later, similar things are happening. And Edmund, which is the second oldest. Second youngest. Second youngest, makes it in. And he meets up with the White Witch, who wants him to bring all of his siblings to the castle, so she can make them into royalty, is mm-hmm. what she tells him. But there's an underlining message there of getting them to come to destroy them. Right, because there's a we find out later there's a prophecy about four humans, two daughters of that, two daughters of Eve, two sons of Adam, which is what we have with mm-hmm. Peter, Susan, Edmund, and, and Lucy. Lucy. That when they come, the White Witch's reign will be destroyed, and Aslan will come back, and all. You know, traditional sci-fi or fantasy tropes of the great prophecy will be fulfilled and good will win and bad will lose. And so bad wants to fight against that. Mm-hmm. 
So then Lucy finds Edmund when she's coming back from Mr. Tums. And she's like, Edmund, you made it in. Well, now you can tell the others. And then they go back. The same thing happens. Lucy tries to say it. And Edmund's just like, she's making stuff up. And completely disses her like it never happened. Mm-hmm. So again, about another chapter later, um, Mrs. McGrady is taking a tour through the house. Right, because people come to see the professor's collection. He's got yes. great stuff. And I always, I always picture this ad, the Magic of Narnia, pushing them or pulling them towards the wardrobe. Mm. Because it, it lays it out in the movie especially, um, which we don't usually talk about a lot, but I will mention here. The sound comes like sounds like it's coming from everywhere, and they're trying to avoid her so they don't get in trouble. trouble. But it all—it's like it's herding them towards the wardrobe mm. and pulling them in. I don't know if that was the intention, but it seems like it was a possibility. So all four of them go into the wardrobe this time, and they feel the smell. She did. She stayed very quiet while they all did. realized that Edmund was a liar. Well, no, they didn't realize that yet. They so, realized that she was right, and then. They all apologized and said, where should we go then? And Edmund says, to the lamppost. Right, shouldn't we? Yeah, something along those lines. And then they all look at him and go, you are a liar. You've been here yes. before. Yes. Which I thought was, I mean, it was great for Lucy to like not say I told you so, but just sit there smiling as <laughs> everyone realized that she was right all along. And that Edmund's lying. Yes. And earlier in the chapters, it kind of explained he's a, not troublemaker, but... A bit of a Disagreeable. Bully. Yeah. Yeah. Bit of a pester. So they meet some of the other creatures in Narnia. They find out that Mr. Tumnus has been arrested for treason. For I, trying to save Lucy. That's what they figure. Then they meet a bird who leads them to the beaver's house. And the beavers lay out a long chapter of here's who Aslan is. He's the great he's the son of the great king across the sea. He's going to come back and restore right to Narnia. Um, this this, if you're familiar with Christianity, has pictures of uh, Christ coming back from heaven to to find his church and for the great king to be across the sea or in heaven, um, mm-hmm. and so the the kids are befuddled. They don't know any of this. They don't they don't make the connection if they understand Christianity in, in their world to Aslan. Um, I don't I see us going to beat people over the head with it. And yeah. but but in this chapter is where we find out why the line of which in order was the first book. And I'm going to take just a few seconds to soapbox. Laura's rolling her eyes at me already. Yep. When Mr. Beaver first mentions Aslan, there's a moment where everybody gets a sensation. Everyone but Edmund feels a wonderful sensation, and Edmund feels horrible. But what it says is, now, the children didn't know who Aslan was any more than you do. However, if you've read the book in the New Order, you know very well who who Aslan is, and it kind of ruins that moment to stop and think, oh, this... I already know who Aslan is. We've already had this in, we've had this interaction with him and mm-hmm. seen the creation of Narnia and that sort of thing. Just me. No, it's not just me. It's the right thing. I'm just going to stand by my word. It's the right way to read the books. Carry on. I don't even remember where you are so before the, you went off your tie rant. So they look around and realize that Edmund is gone. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Beaver points out that he had a look about him of someone who's been with the witch. They put together that he might be betray- that he's betraying them and they've got to run. So they go on the run. To find, try to find Edmund. No. Find, find Aslan. They realize finding Edmund won't do any good. To meet at the stone table. Exactly. So they meet, they find Aslan, they have a, they have some battles with the White Witch, they get Edmund back. No, I'm sorry, they don't. They meet Aslan, and the White Witch brings Edmund back, mm-hmm. and then they have um, 
a discussion between the White Witch and Aslan, where we, we don't know exactly what happened, but what we find out is he's made some sort of deal for Edmund's life. So instead of Edmund being killed, he's going to take his place. Well, that's what we find out later. Yes. Nobody knows what that is. The army rejoices, the White Witch leaves, and later Susan and Lucy can't sleep and follow find out Aslan is leaving the camp, and they follow him. And that's where they go back to the stone table. Where Aslan is being killed by all of the White Witch's army. Right. And so they're all fighting. They're all cheering and rejoicing and beating him up. Right. Then they shave his mane. He doesn't make a noise. It's very uh, very allegorical to Christ's sacrifice. Where mm-hmm. they, they tore his hair. They tore his beard out. They... Um, they beat him down, and it says he didn't cry out. So as he willingly lays down and makes this sacrifice, they tie him to the stone table, she puts the knife into him, and then Susan and Lucy wait as everyone else rejoices and runs away, figuring they're going to come win the battle. And what happens? Then they go to Aslan. It's about sunrise now, so they go to Aslan and find these mice gnawing at them. At? At him. The ropes. The ropes. And they think it's gnawing at him, and they're trying to shoot him away. And then after the ropes are gone, Aslan stands up, and the stone table cracks. Now, they, they start to walk away. The stone table cracks. They turn around, and he's not there anymore. And then he walk, wanders around, and they, they run into each other. Yeah, they find him. And so he's back, and he's fully restored, as if nothing had happened. Uh-huh. Because the old magic, as they called it, she thought she understood... She didn't. The old magic said if a willing sacrifice lays down their life for someone who was a traitor, then they would be restored. And so it's, again, calling, harkening back to the Old Testament law where if un- <clears throat> Christ's sacrifice being one who is not sinful, he redeems all of humanity, just as Aslan redeems Edmund. So we come back, and there's a battle ensuing. Peter is leading his army into battle. They're losing while Susan, Lucy, and Aslan go to the White Witch's castle. And Aslan flees on all the creatures. Who are statues. Who are statues. And they all come back to life. Yep. And Aslan raises them all and says, Those who are bigger, like the giants, help the littler ones. And everyone is helping each other. The giants helping the mice. And they all head to war. Head to war. And then they fight the war. And the tide completely turns once Aslan gets there. He jumps on the witch and she, in the book, just completely vanishes. In the movie they have kind of a moment. Almost like he absorbs her or something. I don't know what they were going for in there. But really good. Really good. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the, the children end up ruling Narnia. For a long time, to adulthood. Um, and Aslan leaves, because after all, he's not a tame lion. Yeah. It's a good line from Mr. Thomas. And so he just he disappears, and they rule Narnia as great kings and queens, and everything's happy. Right? And that's the end. Yeah. No. Okay. And then they go, they go hunting for the mysterious white stag. That if you catch it, legend says it will grant you a wish. So they're hunting it as adults. And they find the lamppost. And they're all thinking, how familiar this looks. And then they realize 
that the warder was around here and we've been in here for years. What if, when something, something we skipped over in the summary <clears throat> is at one point they they go to the professor once Lucy's telling her stories and he gets very excited. Mm-hmm. He doesn't reveal anything, but he asks them, is your sister the more truthful between your sister and your brother? And they're like, no, Lucy, or is she the liar? They said, no, she, I would trust her anytime. Then why not trust her now? And they're like, because this is ridiculous. But we learn in later books, not earlier ones, that the professor knows all about Luria. Mm-hmm. He carves that wardrobe uh, to keep a connection with Luria. And so he knows, but he doesn't reveal to him that he knows. You're just kind of like, well, then start acting like a family, start loving each other, and stop worrying about everything. And so then they move on. And after that is when they all end up in Narnia. I thought it was a nice way for an adult to, to come in. Of course, I think C.S. Lewis is writing himself. And just like, fairy tales are good. Let her imagine. Like, they were going through a time of really big trouble in World War II where kids were growing up fast because it was deadly. Mm-hmm. And they're in the middle of a war. And it's not like a war. <clears throat> you've grown up with war your whole life. But you know, it doesn't affect you because it's in the Middle East and nothing's happening. Yeah. This was... They're getting bombed out of their homes. This is their family, their, their brothers and sisters, and father. The father is off at war, so it's very much impacting them. They needed a little bit of imagination and fairy tale. And I think it's part of the reason there's a lot of these kind of books that start to come out of that era, where everybody was so serious for so long, they needed a release. It kind of opens that door for sci-fi and fantasy to really take off. Mm-hmm. So, what kind of questions do we have for thought-provoking moments here? Edmund and Aslan speak after the end of the war. And Aslan brings them back to his siblings and says, there's no need to talk about the past. What kind of talk do you think Aslan was trying to prevent between Edmund and his siblings? Hmm. So I've had this same conversation with you and your sister. When there's when there's a moment where somebody's done something wrong, it what you want is a I told you so or a fight moment, but what I want is reconciliation. You guys are going to be sisters for the rest of your lives. You're going to be sisters for the rest of your lives, and it's my job as a parent to help you learn how to reconcile with people who have wronged you. We're going to continue to wrong each other in, in our lives. I'm going to wrong you all the way around. You know what I mean? And so you can be angry, and they could have held a grudge and hated him forever because he you know, was going to betray them and whatever. Aslan said, no, I've taken care of it. Your job now is to reconcile amongst yourselves. That's my thought. I agree with you. That's pretty much what I was going to say. They don't want them bringing up the past. Because yeah, that's super easy to do, right? And as mm-hmm. far as we know, they never did. Yeah. They make the point at the end of the book that Edmund became uh, this is the merciful. I can't remember his exact title, but he reigned along with High King Peter with no problem. He didn't he didn't have a problem not being High King. He was good and ruled well. And so mm-hmm. we find that there's there is a redemption story with Edmund where even though he was a total brat to begin with, things turn out that he's all right. In fact, you find out somebody in the third book is even a bigger brat than Edmund. And Edmund's like, was I really that bad? <laughs> yes, Edmund, you were. But now you will help this person who's, who's a brat learn how to not be down a brat. A brat. Mm-hmm. Eustace Scrub. Is there any more horrible name than Eustace Scrub? Yes. Well, no, there's not. <laughs> You'll find out. 
No, again, it's a wonderful book. If you guys want to go ahead for my birthday, I'd appreciate it if you shared this podcast with someone. They would appreciate it. Share it on Facebook, any social media. We'd just like to get some more listeners. We're coming close to 700 downloads for our podcast over the last year, which is awesome. We greatly appreciate it. Um, we'd like to start building out an audience and figuring out what else we can do. So sign up for the Facebook group. Share that with people. Invite people in the Facebook group. Um, share, the, share the podcast with them. Leave us a comment or a review on iTunes or Google Play or Spotify or wherever else you can find us. Uh, that helps push us up in the rankings so we might actually be listened to by other people. Do you have anything to say? Okay. So this will be our January book. Or, sorry, our January podcast, but our January book that we're going to read is going to be... The Hobbit by J.R.R. R. R. Tolkien. Tolkien. All the best fantasy writers have two R's in their initials. George R.R. R. Martin and J.R.R. R. Tolkien. You cannot read Martin for another 10 years. At least. Okay. Yeah, so we figure we do The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings back to back. We can kind of see a, two books written by similar people in similar time frames and just the differences they took. They're definitely very different books, but both foundational, I think, to to the fantasy genre. You said Lord of the Rings, but do you mean Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe? Did I? Yes. I apologize. Go try that again. <laughs> I don't remember what I said. I don't know how we're going to edit that together. So I apologize. Yeah, I meant the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, and the Hobbit. We'll compare those back to back. We could do the Lord of the Rings, but uh, I don't ever want to read that book again. So... Oh, seriously, I'm going to get a lot of hate mail from that. Send it to Jason at reading-radio.com. It's okay. Uh, I think he needed an editor in, in some of the later books, and I will argue that point uh, if you ask. So there we go. All right. Thank you for listening to us rant, mostly my dad. <laughs> well, you should talk more. <laughs> well, thank you for listening. Everyone, have a happy new year, and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the Reading Radio podcast. Reading Radio is released under Creative Commons 3.0 Attribution License. So if you're allowed to use this for any non-commercial endeavor, as long as you give us credit. Along those lines, the music you're hearing now is by Kevin McLeod of Income Tech, also released under Creative Commons License. I just ask that you go out and share, subscribe to this on Stitcher, Podcast, Google Play, wherever you find good podcasts, because that helps us be found by other folks and helps Laura fulfill her dream of one day becoming a published author and just being able to talk about books for a living. Thank you all very much. We'll talk to you soon.